Welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts, and I believe that we all have a purpose, and with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. Welcome to People with Purpose. Today I'm joined by Gareth Evans, who is the CEO and founder of Vector, uh, an organisation that helps businesses uh, make the transition to a more sustainable way of operating uh, without sacrificing their bottom line. So Gareth, welcome to the show. Great to be here, David. And uh Love the love the moustache. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks very much. Yeah. For, so for the benefit of the tape, uh, this is <laughs> this is a November moustache. So um, so yeah. So raising awareness and, uh, and 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 maybe a little bit of cash for uh, for, for for men's health. Uh, so, you've done a wonderful job. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks very much. My lovely wife begs to differ. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I might I might get a kiss uh, in December when uh, when when this has come off. You never never know your luck. But um, but yeah, awesome. there you go, there you go. So look, so um, so thanks for coming on. Um, perhaps just tell us a bit about what you're working on at the minute. Yeah. Um, so we've built a company called Vector, which is the energy transition software platform and marketplace. And what our mission is, is to simplify and accelerate the energy transition. And we specialize in what's called on-site energy. So generating and storing energy right where a business needs it. And that comes in the form of solar, battery storage, gas, diesel, uh, fuel cells, electric vehicles. And we are an independent and agnostic platform that represents the buyer's best interests. So we help them consider all the different options. We look at how they consume energy today, what they're paying for it. and then. we configure the right solution for them and then they get them firm quotes from suppliers in our marketplace. So it really removes all the complexity, the uncertainty, the kind of fear of acting out of the process by really representing the best financial and technical outcomes for the customer. Okay, cool. And so and so where where do you cover? What sort of regions do you cover? Yeah, we're headquartered in the US and certainly with the Inflation Reduction Act here, that's really accelerated growth and the grid is old and becoming less reliable and more expensive here. So this is a really hot market, but we've worked throughout Europe, Australia, Southeast Asia. Um, So the platform can work globally. Um, It's all about just making sure we refine our data inputs as we move into new geographies and that we have the right suppliers in the marketplace to fulfill the customer needs. But because of the cycle of projects, you know, even if we originate a project with you today, we've got a bit of buffer time. If we, for instance, didn't have a supplier in Devon to meet your needs, we'd have weeks or months to kind of make sure the right suppliers are on board and vetted and um, set up to compete for your work. Yeah, cool. Okay. And so um, this is a, a subject that's close to, close to my heart from the point of view of, mm. uh, of sustainable uh, business, uh, being in uh, re- renewables and uh, and really having a kind of a I've got a, a role I play as well on a, on the board of a of a trade association which is uh, in the UK focusing on how to help uh, help businesses uh, navigate the path to to net zero. Um, so yeah. so what are the challenges that, that that businesses are are confronting and and I guess um, what are the priorities if you like from from a business point of view? What do they need to be thinking about first? Yeah. I genuinely believe today the biggest challenge is just education and awareness. And so, you know, situations like this, being able to talk through the opportunity with the likes of yourself is amazing because I think for most businesses today, they've relied on a utility or a grid connection forever. You know, for the last hundred odd years, that's served everyone quite well. Um, But as businesses are now seeing energy prices escalating, in some regions, power outages increasing in frequency, as well as needing to be more sustainable, whether it be through customer pressure, capital market pressure, board CEOs setting mandates. There's there's pressures all around. And then obviously the regulatory reporting requirements that now are um, showing up very prominently. Um, The biggest challenge for businesses is just not knowing where to begin, who to turn to, what's possible. And so the way we've approached it is we know that People don't want to be energy experts. They don't necessarily have a bunch of data at their fingertips. They don't even necessarily know what they want, but we know what their business priority is. And so we always think about it in terms of 
are they hyper focused on cost management, resilience, or sustainability? And then we're able to look at those three business priorities and across a portfolio of facilities, whether it be two, 10, 50, 1,000, we're very quickly able to help them prioritize where they get the greatest return on investment for deploying a system. And then what those returns would look like, what's the lifetime savings versus buying through your current source today? How much could you reduce your emissions? Um, and then we help them then size and configure the right solution. But the first stage is always, where are you at today? What's your business situation? How much energy are you consuming across your whole business? What is the emission profile associated with that based on how you're consuming that energy today? And then what are the options for you going forward? And really, there's four big levers we see is energy efficiency and on-site energy, power off sort of off-site power purchase agreements where you contract virtually or um, buying renewable energy credits. They're really the four big levers people can lean on. Uh, on-site energy is the one where you are investing in an asset and you are building val enterprise value versus almost going down the route of um, energy transition um espionage where you're essentially double paying for things you know you're paying for your utility power today and you're paying to offset it through credits and that's no good for anyone because now you're you're uh, getting slammed on the profit side of things mm -hmm. so what kind of businesses are you um are you helping um the most yeah so it really applies to all businesses that's kind of the beauty of this is less than one percent of commercial industrial businesses have on-site energy systems today so the the opportunity to grow and the opportunity for businesses to embrace this um, moment in time where they can actually now reduce costs, increase resilience and reduce emissions. It's like a win-win-win. Um, but we focus from a sales perspective on manufacturing, food and beverage and hospitals today. Um, they all have big energy loads and or very critical needs to have resilient power. Mm. And many of them have set sustainability targets or they're seeing sustainability targets being pushed down onto them through the supply chain. So there are primary customers to ideally someone with more than one location uh, because it sort of makes it, it helps them go on the journey and there's a bigger, bigger impact. But, um, but we've done everything from a microbrewery one-off through to a hundred megawatt mine site in the middle of the desert. So uh, the opportunities are are really endless. Yeah, yeah, and you're right in saying that the uh, the the there's a kind of a, an acceleration towards a need to find solutions for this problem. We're finding uh, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, sort of customer contracts are now looking for their suppliers to to give them details on what the carbon content of the product is and what the what the cost of their operations uh, is from a carbon point of view um i mean how 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 much are you seeing that play through in 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 the us a lot you know especially you know the mega brands here are driving it down through their suppliers so we hear from everything from walmart's got the gigaton uh, projects. So Walmart's probably the leader on the retail side. They've deployed on-site energy at over 600 of their locations globally. But now they've got the Gigaton project where they say to all their suppliers, you are our scope three emissions. You need to now ensure that you're reducing your emission profile. So they're pushing that down. And today it's more of like a carrot, but I can see that transitioning very quickly to a stick of, if you don't meet these targets, you're not going to be selling your product in our stores. Um, speaking to the automotive industry, um, I was chatting to a guy the other day and he said, literally the first conversation was, do you have a sustainability plan? If not, we're not going to advance conversations any further into buying your part for our cars. So it's really coming right up front in terms of the conversation because once you're in it, once you've contracted, it's very hard to back out of that and then sort of really drive the, the right behaviors. Um, so that's what's exciting about it. But I have huge empathy for business leaders who are trying to juggle these different um, different levers because it can't be at the expense of profitability because you have to be doing good to do good. <laughs> um, so this is where we want to really help businesses realize you know, there are real prime opportunities today. There are projects that you will get a very significant return on investment. And it is it actually makes you more profitable 
And there will be projects in locations where utility power is very cheap or you don't have enough real estate to deploy solar or things like that, where it doesn't make sense. But we'll continue to track it and maybe three years, five years from now, maybe when technology prices have changed or regulations or incentives, maybe they do pencil. So we kind of put the bad projects, we either kill the bad projects or put them on the back burner and continue to monitor them. But let's really accelerate the good projects. Mm-hmm. So what are the... Um... Uh, sorry, so, what what are the kind of examples of of some sort of really really key things that that businesses can do um, as a as a first step? Yeah, so as a very first step, most businesses don't even look at their utility bills. <laughs> so, you know, if they are on um, tariffs where they have time of use rates, where they have um, peak demand charges, first opportunity is understand how you're consuming energy and just how you can manage what you're paying for it. Because if you can be running a piece of equipment at a different time of day when power is cheaper versus more expensive, there's opportunities like that straight off the bat where there's no capital investment at all. We ideally recommend customers have gone down the energy efficiency route. You know, I think we came into this thinking that was a far more mature industry. I think everyone's done the LED light switch out but actually going beyond that, a lot of businesses haven't really thought about it. So there's a huge opportunity to actually reduce your energy load by every anything from 10 to 50% in terms of energy efficiency practices. Um, and then once you've reduced your load as much as possible, then deploying on-site energy to offset that. And um, we're certainly seeing today solar and storage being very prominent in a lot of solutions. And depending on the facility and the criticality of energy reliability, um, gas turbines, fuel cells, sometimes even wind turbines. Um, I think a lot of businesses are now starting to think about electric vehicle charging, especially hotels, grocery stores, where they have customers that are demanding it. And then certainly on the fleet side for the logistics and warehousing, that's another complex challenge because now you're increasing your energy demand. How do you do that without getting smashed with big energy bills? Um, so it's a it's a super exciting opportunity for the business leaders that really want to differentiate their position. Mm. And, and just so just so that we all understand what it is you're talking about, when you talk about gas, I mean that sounds that sounds like a foss, fossil fuel, which doesn't sound very sustainable. So how, how how does that work? Yeah, it's actually a really great question, and um, the reality is some utilities are still using coal and gas and other other fuels like that. So in some jurisdictions, by installing a gas turbine, if your utility is largely powered by coal, you're still net positive in terms of your emission reduction, which is still a benefit. Like this is a long-term transition. We can't just turn this stuff off overnight. And then secondly, um, some businesses have very high energy demands and you just can't offset that with renewables only. You could put in the biggest solar system, the biggest wind turbine, batteries. If you don't have enough real estate or if the energy demand is so high, it just doesn't work in some cases. So you can then shift to using gas turbines or fuel cells that run on gas. Fuel cells are nice because you can run it on gas today and then over the next 20 years, transition it to a blend of gas and hydrogen and then the future hydrogen only. So there are options out there. And I think that's what we want customers to be aware of is we're not trying to force a solution onto them. It's not like you have to be renewable only. A hybrid system is really effective from balancing those three parameters we talked about before of resilience, cost, and emissions. And and as technologies improve, maybe we'll be able to transition more and more away from that. But um, it can't always just be renewable only. Mm Mm-hmm. And do you, do you think that governments are? Do you, do you think they understand what what it is they've committed to? Because if all the governments no. around, no, okay, right. <laughs> go on. We actually interviewed a, a leading climate scientist the other day, and her comment was: um, "Policy is far beyond the science." Right, and I think she's right. I think um, w- what I like about it is that. Countries and governments and businesses have set big, audacious goals. Yeah. 
um, which drives the right behaviors, it drives the right innovation. I'd far prefer us to do that and miss the target a little bit than set not set targets at all or set targets that are completely achievable in the moment. I think the challenge is is that um, policymakers do not have a clue how the energy system works, how complex it is. Um, and the reality today is we're at the risk of um, knee-jerk reacting and throwing a bunch of renewables onto the grid, which is actually then making the grid less reliable, um, more risk of outages. It's driving up the cost for all consumers. And we have to make this an equitable transition. And so the reason why we like on-site energy is you're using the existing built environment. You're not at risk of destroying more ecology, spending 10 years trying to get a project permitted, taking up a huge amount of space. So these are all certainly balances. I think nuclear has to be a major part of the conversation for us to achieve these objectives. Uh, we can't rule that out. So I think the policy makers need to look at this more holistically and realize that there has to be an, a purposeful adaptation plan that ensures reliability, affordability, and sustainability. You know, there has to be the balance. I think right now we're driving very much the sustainability conversation without thinking about the other two equations. Yeah, yeah. And you hear lots of uh, stories about big companies who are kind of leading the way on all this sort of stuff. And it all sounds very good, but I guess they might have a few things going for them from the point of view of having that that real estate and uh, uh you know and, and those those opportunities and the kind of balance sheets if you like to support that sort of longer term investment i guess for 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 an sme like a small medium sized enterprise um <laughs> as you say the initial the initial challenge is 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 one i suppose looking looking at your utility bills in the first place but also actually working out where your carbon impact is where your energy demand if you like is coming from is also you know really 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 challenging i mean have you got yeah. any any advice that you can give um uh, uh, businesses of that sort of scale uh, to to sort of start to think about from the point of view of their energy efficiency and and, and ways they can target improvements for themselves there yeah, like within our supply network, we have amazing energy efficiency providers who can really who really specialize in the scope one emissions of you know, if I'm using a boiler today that's gas powered, what would be the opportunity to switch it to electric as an example and heat, heat pumps versus other technologies. So there are ways to actually reduce scope one emissions straight off the bat. Um, we we don't do that at Vector, but we know people that do if people want introductions. Mm. On the Scope 2 side, that's certainly all about the energy you consume from the utility. So that's where we really specialize. That's, I think, fairly mature and well played out. The biggest challenge for a lot of businesses is the Scope 3 aspect of trying to understand the emissions across your whole supply chain. Mm. Uh, there are definitely amazing businesses in that space who are helping companies track their carbon emissions and uh, their profiles and the sources of that. Um, we just went through a program with a company called Optera, actually, and they're one of the leaders in this space where they help map out the scope one, two, and three emissions for businesses. Um, and you're right, you know, you need to understand where you have those emissions, but at the same time, unless you're acting on it and doing something about it, um, and I think that's really where we're at in industry today. I think we've had several years of thinking about it, measuring it, and now people actually need to act on it and realize some of the benefits of what's possible. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would kind of encourage businesses to not, unless they're mandated to be thinking about scope three immediately, like get your head around your own emissions first, you know, control your scope two, and then use your best practices and encourage your supply chain to follow suit. Um, and so customers will use our platform to push that down to their suppliers to say, hey, by the way, Vector can help you go on this journey. We'd really like you to start thinking about your emissions. So it's kind of using that encouragement tactic. Um, but I think you have to lead by example and do it yourselves before you start demanding it of others. Mm -hmm. 
And it's interesting that you say that there's uh, there's often a business case for for mm. this as well. So, have you got any examples of 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 kind of the kind of uh, the business benefits that, that that come through from a profitability point of view as well as the for the planet? Yeah, we've actually got loads. Um, a few that spring to mind. I'll give you, I suppose, two extremes. Um, uh, aerospace manufacturing company. Um, we looked at how they consume energy today. It was purely just from the grid um, with a solar plus rooftop and carport solar plus electric vehicle charging stations, which they wanted to employ for their employees. So that was increasing their demand. With that system, they're able to reduce their energy costs by $1.2 million per year, reduce their emissions by 49%. And that's only assuming a 3% utility rate escalation. Okay. And what we're seeing, particularly here in America, is everything from 5 to 30% year on year. Mm. And so it becomes a real risk hedging mechanism as well. You know, you've locked in your costs for the next 20 years. You, you know what you're going to pay for energy, whereas all your peers and competitors are seeing this uncertainty and energy prices are only going to go up. Like there is no way that that is not going to happen. Yeah. On the flip side, we did a, a winery um, case study. They were spending $1.2 million per year on energy um, prior to our assessment. And then with a solar plus storage solution, they reduced their cost by $400,000 a year, $800,000 um, energy bill. And so, and they were able to reduce their emissions by 30%. Um, we've seen the same across the board with a variety of different technologies from warehouses to logistics companies to microbreweries. Um, we worked with a brewery who had been approached by a supplier in the market, and they spent a, a year waiting for the supplier to assess a project, pr propose a, a project to them, and then negotiate terms and conditions. At the end of that year period, the brewery president said, I don't agree with these terms. They couldn't come to terms. Supplier had wasted a year. Customer had wasted a year. He then came to us, and within a week, we configured him a system. Within a few weeks, had him six firm bids from the market, and then he had signed T's and C's within three months. And so that's what we really want to support businesses to do is take control of the process and not be passively sold to by suppliers. Mm suppliers get really frustrated because their biggest competitor is indecision from the customer because the customer doesn't know whether they should trust them or not. Um, so it's all about supporting the business owners and decision makers to act with confidence, act with data, act with insights, and tell the market what they want, and then get apples to apples bids that they can compare versus you know just relying on the guy who knocks on your door the most. I think that's that's a bit where the industry's at today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, yeah. Gets caught up in a lot, in a lot, a lot, a lot of spam emails, which, which feel, feel like spam to me. But you know, help help with your energy energy bills. If you thought about this, if you thought about that, and yeah, this just doesn't seem like a very credible approach to me. Yeah, and uh, most people don't even know what a kilowatt is, a kilowatt hour is, mm. what a like they don't know how how much they consume. And I think education and awareness is definitely the first step, and kind of being their their partner on this journey versus let's get a quick project done. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. So from a, um, so that's, that's the business case from a kind of a, uh, a savings point of view, some really good examples there. What yes. about from the point of view of uh, a, the more customer facing side of things? Cause you know, we, we do, we do hear um, and, and there's a general mood that says that actually I want to buy my products and services from an organization that's looking after the planet. But have you actually seen that translate into, into benefits from a, from a top line point of view? I, I wouldn't say I've got like quantifiable. We've seen a business do this and their results have um, jumped for people that we've worked with. I think we mentioned Walmart before. They're a great example of you can actually go into their, their reports and there's a brilliant graph that shows emissions dropping and revenue and profits growing. So it really shows that it is possible. I think a lot of the management consultants have done studies around um, consumer behavior and that the businesses that are more sustainable have um, greater profitable outcomes. There is a share price um, metric that says 
Um, businesses that have reduced their emissions have a 12% increase in share price versus their peers that increased emissions in the same time period. So I think when you, for businesses, the opportunity is, first of all, like you say, let's manage your bottom line, then make sure your operation runs, reduce your emissions. But then there's a huge marketing, branding um, opportunity for you to then socialize with the capital markets, with your customers, with your employees. You know, I think even being able to attract and retain employees are demanding this to now, now especially the new generations coming through. Um, so I think for many factors, there are softer benefits that harder to quantify, but they're definitely there. Yeah, yeah. But about six years ago, we were having a conversation in 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 our business about about how much do we talk about our sustainability credentials? How much do we talk about our um, how we look after our people and even things like um, you know paying above national living wage and that kind of thing. Six years ago, we took a view, actually, we don't want to be seen to be crowing about this sort of stuff because, you know, it, people, it might put people off. But now the sort of feedback that we're getting from our customers is, why aren't you talking about the fact that you do this stuff? Because we want to know. Are you seeing that as a, as a change in, in sort of customer demand globally? Uh, yes, I think um, the companies that have gotten nervous about it and that backed off away from it are the companies that did what are called the, the virtual power purchase agreements, where they buy energy from a big project somewhere. It could be thousands of miles away. So they're not necessarily buying the electrons, but on paper, they're reducing their emissions. Or those that bought renewable energy credits, they've kind of been slammed in the press for greenwashing. And so they were very kind of pro, let's market this, we're net zero or we're net positive. And when people have actually dug into it, they've said, you've actually provided no additionality to the system. You've just, you know, on paper offset this. So now those companies have certainly backed away from the messaging around it because I think that they feel like they're being burnt a bit. Um, and so this is the balance. I think this is where the press really comes in is, I think even in those situations, um, businesses are trying and they are investing money and they are um, supporting the development of either net new projects or ideally net new offsets. I think that's a bit of a risk on the offset side. Mm. Um, I think we want companies to truly be celebrating the steps they're taking. And even if they're not quite hitting their targets, you know, they're doing far better today than they were two years, five years, 10 years ago. And so we really encourage it. I think it's a really good story for people to be telling, especially if they've got a game plan that they're acting against and they, they're seeing those quarterly prog progressions. And that's the reality is you can actually see it very quickly, um, positively impact your business. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So how did you get into all this then? What was, what, what, what was the, the, the thing that, that, that took you into this, this world? Definitely a very um, unplanned path. Okay. Um, I, I went to Lancaster University and studied environmental science. I always loved, ge loved geography, loved travel, loved being adventurous and in the outdoors. But I was actually training to be a pilot with the Air Force, so they were paying for me to go through university, um, go into the air squadron every weekend. Um, that, that didn't work out. They had too many pilots and not enough aircraft when the Eurofighter was uh, several years delayed. Um, so I used the environmental science degree to get a job um, in Canada, cleaning up old oil and gas well sites throughout the Rocky Mountains. And so that was my first foray into the environmental arena and really seeing how big businesses operate and particularly on the conventional energy side of things, the oil and gas, mining, things like that. Um, I was lucky enough that the consulting firm I worked for was acquired by the largest energy engineering firm in the world, Worley, um, previously Worley Parsons. So I spent 15 years with them and I had the pleasure of living and working all around the world on everything from LNG facilities to mine sites to big heavy oil and gas refining uh, ports. Um, and I got to see how big business operates how much energy they consumed, you know, energy makes up almost 40% of operating costs for some of these businesses. And so it's a truly, it's the lifeblood of their business. Um, but the real turning point for me was um, I spent two years in Iraq right after the Gulf War, um, living on the U.S. Army base in Basra, supporting 
major oil and gas companies to move into the region. And it just really highlighted to me is here we were unlocking energy reserves for our Western energy hungry economies. And yet the local populace were surviving on two hours of power a day. Um, their infrastructure being devastated. You know, that reliance on a centralized infrastructure, we all rely on the grid today. It literally takes one tree, one cyber attack to wipe out entire areas. Um, and energy is hypercritical to everything we do, whether it's getting access to water, education, transport, keeping the lights on, staying warm, staying cold. So it just really highlighted to me that we needed a better way to provide affordable, reliable power. Um, and so I didn't know that that would lead to Vector at the time. Um, I was lucky enough many years later to meet a couple of amazing people who were specialists in the onsite energy space. And as more and more of our customers were asking for it as consultants, we tried to find a, a way to support them. And ultimately, we realized that we couldn't do that within the, the corporate landscape. We had to have an independent business that could really, truly disrupt the industry and represent people's best interests. And yeah, we started Vector back end of 2019. Okay. Okay. Wow. So would you describe yourself as an environmentalist then? Um, like certainly by training, for sure. Um, I'd say I want us to do the right thing by our society, by our um, by the world, like by nature, by the world around us. But I'm also pragmatic in the fact that um, this is going to be like, this isn't the first transition we're going through. Like we've gone through many energy transitions and none of them happen overnight, but they happen as a result of there being an advancement in technologies and a, a change in requirements of how we want to consume energy. And I think we're at that perfect point right now where with digital technologies, with the price point of solar storage, gas, fuel cells, all these different technologies. We've got the perfect melting pot where the capabilities exist. The price point is right. We've got the right enabling technologies to facilitate the transition. Um, but we need to be realistic in the fact that we need thriving economies in order to invest the money in doing this. Um, and a big part of our economy today is still conventional uh, power. And I think we have to be very proud of the, the oil and gas cycle that we've come through because it's increased our standard of living hugely and um and it's going to be here for a long time to come because we rely on it for all, everything we we wear and use but i think there is a great opportunity now to be strategically transitioning how we consume energy um away from that source mm-hmm. it's interesting isn't it because part part of me thinks that there is a a real need for us to crack on and to to kind of you know just cut cut off fossil fuels as as quickly as possible because of that 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 impact and then and then the other the other part of me thinks well yeah but hang on a second if we do that who who are we going to be affecting and my mind then turns. I mean, you mentioned the the, the the people in Iraq. My mind then turns to, you know, the BRIC uh, countries where you've got people who are uh, really produ- producing, um, who are probably, you know, you again heavy coal users and all those sorts of things. You you begin to you cut that off very very quickly, and what happens is you 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 potentially do quite a lot of social damage to, to 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 those parts of the world i mean have you have you have you thought about that and how that circle can be squared i, I saw it firsthand i think um the story in iraq that really sticks with me is um we would have like briefings by the u.s military every morning where they come in and tell us the situation how risky it was what we needed to be looking out for we were being mortar attacked most evenings um and so that's a pretty scary experience where you hear the alarms go off, you hear the guns kicking in to try and shoot the projectile out of the sky, and you're literally lying there hoping that it doesn't it doesn't take you out. But what we were learning, and the this one briefing was a vid they showed us a video of two guys doing the attack that night. So when someone launches a mortar or a rocket, the base has equipment where they can detect the origin and then they go out and try and catch the people who've done it. On this particular night, they didn't catch the people, but they'd 
in their haste to leave had left behind a tripod with a camera on it. And the camera was essentially the equivalent of you and I there on a wet and windy night going, this is miserable. I don't want to be here. I wish I was at home with my family. And we were being told that these were not, you know, terrorist insurgents coming from Iran or coming across the board. These were locals who were being paid a couple hundred dollars. Um, and they needed that money to feed their families, buy diesel for their generators. And we're seeing it in Gaza. We're seeing it in Ukraine. Um, we saw it in Europe when Europe didn't have access to gas. You know, energy is critical to everything and horrible things happen when we don't have it. And I think to your comments here and to the policy question before, this is the biggest challenge for all of us is it has to be, it has to be a purposeful transition. We can't, we can't turn the taps off mm. tomorrow because then we'd all be in brownouts, blackouts. We know that renewables, um, based on our deployments today, even combined with batteries, aren't going to do the job on their own. So I think the targets we've set will help drive more innovation to ensure that we do have the ability to do that in the future. But today, we don't necessarily have have the opportunity to do that. And certainly to your point for more developing nations, um, they, they need the opportunity to improve their standard of living as well. Mm. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of learnings that we can pass on. I think the reason why I, I genuinely love on-site energy and microgrids is it's the equivalent of you know when you go to East Africa today, every Maasai Mara warrior has a cell phone. Nice. <laughs> they never had to build landlines. They never used conventional telephones. Like the, there was a technology leap. Same in Mongolia. Like these are the stories you hear. Yeah, we have the opportunity with on-site energy to say. We don't need a central grid. We don't need a big coal plant, a big gas facility. Actually, we can use solar and a battery and a wind turbine right at the facility where the energy is needed, and we can generate it. We don't lose any any energy through the transmission distribution process. Um, we're not reliant on one central piece of generating power equipment because if that goes down, everyone suffers. But let's each have our own individual assets. And then let's start syncing them together. And then let's start balancing that, sharing it, trading it, transacting it. And that's really the future. And I think that's how we get to a decarbonized energy future. Mm. Um, I think it becomes very challenging if we continue to try and use our existing infrastructure to make this transition. We have to think differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, the political side of it, Again, is interesting because you've got you've got a scenario where you've got politicians who whose whose primary goal is 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 to 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 be elected to get into power or to or to or, or to stay in power. I guess that might sound a little bit cynical, but that that must play into the to the to the kind of decisions that that, that they make and the conversations that they make, which means that having set a twenty fifty goal for for net zero. We're now in this kind of okay. We're in the three, four, five year cycles of elections or whatever, which which most uh, most democracies certainly kind of kind of operate operate under. Um, where's where's the where's the role in business to to kind of bridge the gap, if you like, between between those two poles? Yeah, I, I genuinely believe it's businesses and business leaders that are going to make the impact. I think. Um... I think policy and regulation is is an enabling opportunity, but as we've discussed, the commercials make sense today for businesses to do this. And so it may seem scary because they may never have done it before, but if you want to hedge your risks, you want to stabilize your operating costs, you want to ensure that the power stays on, and you want to ensure that you are competitive with your peers because you're more sustainable, or you can win contracts. You have to. You're going to have to do this. I think you know the mega trends show the last thirty years, businesses have had to um, position themselves to adjust to more computing power, interconnectivity, enterprise software as a service, um, social media. They've been the mega trends that businesses have had to adapt to. The next twenty five years, the the three big items are IoT, you know, the Internet of Things. AI um, or automation and clean tech or energy transition. 
And so I think most businesses have to go on this journey and the ones that lead the journey will truly differentiate themselves. And and they are also the biggest energy consumers, they're the biggest emitters, and so they can have the biggest impact uh, very quickly. And I think um, the more businesses see that, that they can have that positive impact. Um, they'll build communities and trusted, loyal communities around them um, versus relying on um, largely uninformed policymakers to get it done. And I think everyone, like even the policymakers, I, I'd like to think that they are doing it because they believe it's the right thing to do, but it has to be based on data and science and actual achievable um, technologies and commercial models. I think the commercial model is another big challenge is we've got monopolistic utility models around the world. Um, we need to be able to adjust the way we transact um, energy commercially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it is interesting because actually the, the, the policymakers that I've met, as in the civil servants, the people who kind of do the work behind the, you know, in, in the government departments, a lot of them are, you know, very, very passionate about sustainability or 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 about developing markets that are going to work and function for society and uh so so yeah i think i think the desire is there but there's they're always looking to business uh to entrepreneurs uh to um yeah to the markets for for inspiration and for and for advice and, and guidance and and one thing that is encouraging uh certainly what i'm seeing in, in the uk um, and again, think, think and say what you like about about politics in the UK at the moment. But um, but but one thing that is encouraging is that 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 desire to to collaborate from from those yeah. people is is definitely uh, growing, and, and and it's much much needed. Uh, it's interesting that you um, talk about those those three areas: so AI, IoT, and clean tech. Um, where 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 are a vector exploring those those three areas to to further improve the service that you provide for your customers? Yeah. Um, just before I answer that, just in terms of that last um, segment on uh, the regulatory side of things, I think um, the real great the reason why I love the Green New Deal, Inflation Reduction Act, all these kind of um, policy mechanism that are coming out is I think politicians and leaders of our societies and communities are realizing that there is also a great opportunity here to create new jobs, create new opportunities, create new economic revenue streams. And um, I think we need to pay a lot of attention to that. So I think that's quite exciting. Um, in terms of Vector, yeah, for sure. Obviously, clean tech, we're, we're very focused on supporting businesses to get access to that in a very profitable way. Um, we use AI and data science to do a lot of our analysis. So when we configure projects, there are literally hundreds of thousands of variables that go into designing the right system. You know, a lot of people think, oh, let's just throw a few solar panels on the roof and offset our energy load. And it's definitely not that simple. And especially once you start considering more than one technology, so we start considering everything from utility rates, fuel prices, solar radiance, wind speed, um, how the different technologies work, what the cost of capital is for the customer, how much space they have available. So once you start considering those hundreds of thousands of variables, the compute power becomes quite significant. Um, so we've created some real kind of smart technology at the front end to automate a lot of the consulting efforts I did in my past life. So instead of us taking six to 12 months to do an analysis, we're now doing it in seconds, minutes, hours, days, depending on the complexity. So we really compress the time to results that then compresses the cost. So instead of millions of dollars in planning costs, we have a small uh, single thousand dollar um, platform access fee to get access to all that intelligence. Um, and obviously there's huge opportunities for us to constantly leverage um, AI to advance how we think about this market, particularly as we're in quite a privileged position in that we get the customer's information at the front end in terms of their current business needs and opportunities. But then when suppliers bid on projects in our marketplace, we sanitize that data, but then we have real-time price points on the cost of these different technologies, the cost of deployment, how they're configured. And so we're then able to feed that back into the front end design and 
share with our customers intelligence around how the market's working. So how do we continually use that to simplify the process, require no data from customers in the future, proactively be able to bring them business cases? You know, These are some of the things that we're working on is uh, we don't want to create any barriers to entry or to decision. Um, but yeah, I even use uh, AI. I've trained uh, an AI assistant for my Twitter feed. <laughs> uh, so if you read any of my Twitter posts, like I trained it on thousands of previous comments I'd made or statements. And so now it can largely talk like me. <laughs> I still have to vet it before I post it. Yeah. But uh, it's cool. Like I love playing around with that sort of stuff. I think we're just at the beginning and um, we use ChatGPT for sure to help with blog writing, marketing campaigns, all that sort of stuff. So mm. it's, a, it's a fun time. Oh, cool, cool. You have to be careful with the old uh, cybersecurity, though, don't you? Because there's lots of concerns around uh, around who who owns the data once you've stuck it in there. Have you got any concerns yeah, exactly. about that or systems to manage that? Yeah, I think uh, there's definitely brilliant people out there thinking about those things. I'm definitely not uh, one of them. <laughs> uh, I, I want to use the tech to um, enhance our capabilities for sure. But yeah, yeah we're we're not going to put our own IP into into the public market for yeah. we wouldn't do that yeah yeah, yeah. cool or your or your or your sales forecast or your, or your sales history so to, to try and get a forecast just because just in case that could be findable by somebody else <laughs> at some point in the future cool cool okay and so if you're using all this um all this tech to help uh to help help your customers uh, make these decisions. Uh, how are you doing with your? Um, what's the size of your data center? How are you doing with your 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 <laughs> your scope one, two, and three emissions as a business? Yeah, luckily we're we're all completely remote, so we all just live and work from home. Okay, we've got a team that's spread all over the world, like Brazil, Mexico, Canada, US, Australia. Yeah. But our personal footprints are minimalist. Um, but yeah, we use AWS. Amazon is our web server. They're pretty progressive on this front. Mm. Um, but yeah, we're, we're a small software team today, um, largely. And um, as we expand, we'll definitely do more to track it. Maybe one day when we have an office, we'll uh, we'll have our own system. But I'm not sure whether that'll ever happen. You know, mm. I think if we asked our team to come to the office every day tomorrow onwards, we'd have a, a riot. And um, <laughs> Yeah, we've proven that we can do without it. And uh, we just come together every three to six months, rent a big Airbnb, all hang out together for a week and socialize and collaborate. And that that seems to give us enough emphasis to then operate remotely thereafter. Yeah, cool, cool. I guess it all depends on where you stick the office and, and if you're going to also provide the accommodation, I guess, then that, that would yeah, exactly. soften the blow a little bit if it was the Bahamas or somewhere like that. But uh... yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, good. And so, and so, what's the what's the mission then that Vector is on? What's the purpose of Vector as an organisation? Yeah, um, to simplify and accelerate the energy transition. Um, and my personal mission is to create clean, affordable, reliable power for all. Um, that's a huge, audacious goal. Um, but we're starting with businesses today because we know that they've got the biggest opportunity to to act and invest. So, um, yeah. We're, we're, I think, just at the beginning, um, but this is a super exciting time, and I think decades worth of fun ahead of us. Cool, yeah, and it's it's really fascinating how you've how you've found, uh, I suppose, purpose and mission in in your own life experience. I mean, is is that how it worked for you? Is it flown like that for you? For sure, I, I definitely don't believe in work life balance. I believe in work life integration and always managed to find ways you know i've got a super awesome and supportive family a wife and a son who are just adventurous just as um, action orientated and so we've always tried to find a way to combine the travel the mountain biking the hiking the backpacking the skiing with work and and a big part of the mission is to ensure that we can continue to all do that um and we can we have a an environment and a nature to enjoy and that we can um all have a good quality of life um, without being at the expense of our uh, our environment. So, yeah, there's a there's lots of integration there to be to be played with, and um, we'd love your thought. I'm trying to think of a. I love a big physical challenge. I'm trying to think of a big physical challenge that I could combine with raising money, and then you know, 
donating that to installing an onsite energy system for a charity or a business of choice. So if any of your listeners have any big physical challenges that I should put my mind to, um, I'd love that. Fantastic. So what kind of physical challenge are you looking for? Is this is this like a athletic outdoors type thing? Yeah, I think so. But I'm totally open. You know, in the past I've done long adventure races, Ironman, multi-day mountain bike races. Um, the the big hammer thing you can see back there is one of my colleagues did a, an event called an Uberman, which was like a week long run swim bike run. Um, I supported him with the the last eight miles of the swim, yeah. so he donated me the hammer. But yeah, anything <laughs> like that, um, or just something completely unique and different that I would never even dream of. Fantastic. Well, there you go. There's a, there's an invitation then to our audience to uh, to come yeah. up with some ideas. Brilliant. Cool. Okay, good. Well, we're coming to the end of our time together now, Gareth. This has been a brilliant conversation. Um, have you got any parting words you'd like to, to leave our audience with? I think just, first of all, thank you, David, for helping to bring awareness to the, the opportunities. I'd say um, it may feel overwhelming. It may feel complex. There may be a lot of uncertainty around the energy transition. There's definitely a lot of misleading information out there. Um, embrace it, act on it, and let's let's take the steps together because um, we'll all learn by doing. And the opportunity is significant. Um, let's ensure that your business is more profitable, more sustainable, uh, more reliable, and that it's a place that customers want to buy from, employees want to work at, and uh, investors want to invest in. And I think then we all win. Brilliant, brilliant message. And how can people find out more about you and, and follow you and get in touch if they'd like to? Yeah, uh, I'd say I'm most active on LinkedIn. So check out Gareth Evans at Vector. Um, in terms of content, we've got an awesome podcast ourselves. Dan, our head of sales, and I do a podcast called The Renewable Rides, which is about one, the energy transition, about two, following people's journeys and their renewable ride. Um, and then our website is a treasure trove of vlogs, blogs, newsletters, um, educational content. So vector.com, V-E-C-K-T-A.com. Cool. Awesome. Thanks ever so much for carrying on, coming on People With Purpose, Gareth. I appreciate you, David. Thank you. Thanks for listening to People With Purpose. I hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey. Please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. Uh, tell all your friends. And if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye. Bye.